Coming to you live from the second bedroom of Shane's apartment. This is the Shane and Scuba Steve podcast. How's it hanging? A little to the left. How are you? Ah, not too bad. You? Well, I already asked that part. Oh, hey, it's just a platitude circle is what happens. Oh wow! I'm well, you're well. <laughs> That's Go. just the podcast. They, that's I think well that's I think how communication is going in the post COVID world. Mm-hmm. People just don't know what the fuck to say to each other anymore. So like I just every person is like, can I help you? And I'm like, no, I'm okay. How are you? And they're like, oh, I'm good. How are you? And then it just starts because <laughs> then it's on them to realize that they did it. Otherwise, I can just go back and forth forever because yeah. I'm too polite at the end of the day to stop it. So it's really up to them. But I don't, it's, yeah, it's been happening more and more where you get like the double how are you's and stuff like that because no one knows what life is anymore. We just came out of the freezer for a year and a half. It's like a two AI talk box uh, being put together. And just like, let's see what happens. Oh, yeah. Good evening. We have no idea how society functions anymore. No. Speaking of, welcome back to Shane Scuba Steve Show where we make society make sense, kind of. That's our slogan. On alternating That's- Tuesdays. Yep. But yes, it is episode fifty nine. Episode fifty nine. Yeah. Speaking of another a fifty, another fifty happened this weekend. Uh, Phil Mickelson won the uh, the Ocean Course, the um, PGA. I don't. I see. That's the thing. I don't know if about golf to be like. He won the the match. He won. Uh, no, I would. Ooh. Tournament. See? Tournament. I believe it's the tournament. I I think I would use tournament. Uh, more often than anything else, because yes, I don't think it's called a golf match unless it's just a one-on-one, but it's not. Yes, this was the PGA Championship. There we go. Which I was watching part of it in a bar on Sunday. Yep. Or on Saturday, I watched part of it in a bar, and it was great because the bar was a little quiet. So because of golf. Well, because of golf, it was also like honestly, it was eleven thirty and it was in New Hampshire, so because it was golf. Yeah, and so. My father and I were having lunch, an early lunch. We were watching it. And our waiter kept on, like, staring back at the TV, like, intently. And I was like, I don't – I like golf. Yeah. I've now taken up a sport as a hobby. You know, we've golfed. You golf. We've golfed together. Mm-hmm. And uh, – but this guy was, like, so staring at it. And then – so he's, like, checking this out. And he goes, yeah. He's like, yeah. So he's like, I literally just got back from playing, like, two weeks in Florida at Tiburon after the seniors played. He's like, I lost a dozen balls. He's like, I just, they make it look so fucking easy. And I was like, no, like, I hear you. And I thought it was funny because this man goes and plays for like a week or two down in Florida, loses a dozen balls. Uh, I go to like a local course and lose a dozen balls in a day. And I go, that's golf. There's just a lot of differences, I think, early on in enjoying the sport. Oh, for sure. I mean, professionals drive the ball 350 yards, and I'm lucky if I usually break 200. So. Yeah, they're on another level. But he also, uh, he's the oldest now person to uh, win that at 50. He is, which is, I think is pretty cool. It is. It also just seems so weird because, uh, like, golf is a sport that people play well into their late, later years. So just hearing, like, 50 is the oldest to win it, it's like, oh, really? Huh, interesting. I wouldn't have been shocked if, like, 60 was. But, of course, there are senior league leagues as well. So Oh, yeah. Yeah. Would you do that in your later years? Would you try to get on the, on the tour as, like, a senior? Oh, yeah. No, I would absolutely – yeah, if I had the t- time, like, to do it, for sure. That just sounds great. I remember um, – this was 
2007, maybe 2008, I worked a senior league championship. I had two j- separate jobs on because I worked two days. One was I would sit on the 18th green and mark the time when they would pull the pin up and when they would put the pin back in the hole for every group that went through, which Interesting. was very, it was very boring. I hated that just because I was, I was just seeing the very end of someone's like, I didn't get to watch the game. I was just always like, okay. But then the next day I was a runner. So because once we were at the 18th, the players would go into a, this like tiny trailer, do all their scores. And then I was handed the scores and had to run it to uh, a news tent. And then another tent that had a giant scoreboard. They were the chalk scoreboard. They were doing to keep the score for the entire championship. That's pretty fucking cool. Yeah. That day was far more fun than the first where it was just like four thirteen. 416. Okay, wait another four minutes and the next guys will come through. Oh, 417. They're moving. These guys are moving. Whoa. Wait, so you just waited for them to take the pin out? Yeah. What, that's, is that, what does that do? That's, I think it's just like a statistic and just to check the rate of play. I had no idea the real, like, that's all I accept or I thought it was about. No one told me, like, oh, it's because of this. I think that was just it. And then, like, yeah, the at every like 30 minutes, someone else would come by and be like, Oh, can I see your sheet? And like, just check it. And then like walk away. And I'm like, uh, do you want me to do anything? Can I get a hot dog? Pace of play is like the most absurd thing in golf. Sometimes. It you is start a- playing with the group people and they're like, Oh, what if they're like, Oh, 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 we're going to wait for this group. And then it's just golf is like waiting in lines, but the lines are very spaced out. They are. It's, I always feel weird about it. Cause I can understand not wanting to wait for other people and then the pressure of having others behind you waiting. Yep. But I'm usually also the one that's just like, everyone relax. Like just we're outside. Everyone have a nice day. But that's usually because when I go golf, like that's my day is like, I just, even if it golfs at nine in the morning, that's yep. all I'm doing that day. So it's like, I don't care. Oh, they want more time. Sure. Like everyone relax. Let them. Yeah. You know, hit, hit your ball. If you hit me, cool. Like I said, I got the entire day and I'm wearing a Hawaiian shirt. Everything's fine. Today's great. Today's great regardless of whatever happens next. That's how I think you have to approach golf. That's how I've tried to do it is like just happy to be out there. Oh, yeah. Because otherwise I'll go insane. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Very easy to uh, that scale to tip in the wrong direction. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So we have a drink of the week this week. Yes. We haven't done. I don't think we've done this before. We did big beers. Yeah, your explanation for big beers is like big name beers is essentially. Oh, what yeah, I, I'm not drinking a, a pounder right now. Yeah, well, see, that's what I first kind of thought when you brought it up. I'm like, you mean like a tall boy? Like, I don't think I could. I don't think I have one. I could like a forty. A forty. Yeah, I could open up two or three beers. Uh, what do you have? What is your big name beer you're drinking right now? I'm drinking a Miller Light. Oh, ooh, so ooh, close. Ooh, I'm rocking a Coors Light today. Ooh. Fancy, and it's one of those. Uh, it, I'm doing the blue can. Oh, okay, so blue can. You wait for it to light up, or what? Well, exactly. Yeah, I'm waiting for the rock. Uh, the the mountains to turn blue and cold as the Rockies, baby. Oh yeah, of course, man. Oh, so cold. Oh, you know what I liked about that when it first came out, I was like, oh, that's cool. But then, like later on, they're like, now there's two degrees of blue. Like there's just this one blue, and then a darker blue, so it's even colder. It's like, do we need to show me two stages of cold on this can of cores? I think so. I'm all right. I'm just, it's a, it's a novel, uh, marketing, uh, ploy, but at the same time, I'm just like, I don't need this. I'm not like, Hey guys, hold on. No one drink this. 
It's not blue. I don't know. Hey, it's a novel marketing play, but also if it's cold, it's cold. I'm drinking. I'm drinking Miller Lite out of a stadium can, like one of the one pint bottles. Yep. And we've said it before, but this is the way to drink beers. It is, and it's also that I don't. I feel like aluminum twist top beer cans are what alcoholics from the '80s thought the future would be like. This is like, what are you talking about? I've lived in the '90s, and this is the future. I know. I just like to think they were like, "Nah, man, beer's gonna be so classy in the future. It's gonna come in an aluminum can. It'll be twist." Everyone's like, "Okay, man. Yeah, whatever." As they're cracking open just a normal can, like, "Yeah, okay, cool." I hey, look. I love them. Yeah, I if mean, you, I'm not. Yeah, I like them too. But I'm I wish craft beer came in this format for it. You know, it's shocking that craft beer doesn't do that more. I feel like that would be more niche to the craft market. I think it's just an expense thing, really. Oh, okay. You saying uh, like Anheuser Busch has lots of money or something? No, I'm just saying that craft breweries are generally less capital intensive. True, true. Most of their assets are liquidated. Correct. Hey, liquid. Oh, I wasn't even going for a pun. I was just trying to use uh, my best. <laughs> I don't know, economic? That's not even economics. Well, no, because liquidated would be like they're getting rid of it all, but the, most of their yeah. assets are liquid. Yeah, wow. All right, look at like how beer. smart I can be. It's magical. Yeah. It's magical. So we have a trailer of the week this week. Yes, we do. A long-awaited uh, trailer, because uh, it's the Eternals. That pun wasn't as good as my liquidated one. But it was up there. It was up there. I'll yeah. give you that. Yes, but Marvel's The Eternals. Uh, this is something that I was like, have you been waiting for this movie? No, I've been waiting for Kumal Nanjiani to be in the Marvel Universe, though. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Um, but yes, this is a movie that's I guess, has been in the works for a while now. Uh, production was uh, delayed because of COVID and its release, of course. Um, but this follows... The Eternals, who are beings created by the Celestials, which in the Marvel Universe are like, not the creators of the universe, but like the first beings who kind of help form most of it. Mm-hmm. But this is about the Eternals as they come to Earth and have been here forever, have kept themselves hidden, and now they must uh, make themselves known to the world. What do you think of this first trailer for the Eternals? I think it looks good. Mm-hmm. I think it's. Uh, I think it's interesting. Yep. I don't really have a lot on it. It's a two-minute-long trailer. It's very brief, and the first 30 seconds are kind of burnt on like a gigantic black-and-gold spaceship showing up, yep. much to the chagrin of an early human society, like, basically an early human like nomad camp in the they're desert. Like, yeah, they're pre-everything, essentially, because they don't have any tools, and we learn from this trailer ooh, excuse me, that it's the Eternals that are essentially have guided humanity throughout time very subtly, while keeping themselves hidden. But don't jump in. I'm not like, no, sorry, don't. I mean, you jump in whenever you mm. want. But they don't jump into anything. And I think it's kind of funny because towards the end, they're all having dinner. It's like, well, with Steve Rogers gone and Tony Stark gone, who should lead the Avengers now? Yep. And one of them's like, I'll do it. And you're just like, ah, oh, you let Thanos destroy half the planet. Yeah. Well, so you're right. I didn't do anything to stop it. The Eternals don't uh, really get involved in hu- human society. I think from what I saw in the trailer and what I think will be uh, shown in the movie, they go to this first civilization they find and they teach them like tools, basic engineering, how to essentially build themselves up to be like, Hey, like don't live in this dirt hut. 
build like yep. a house, yada, yada. I think then at a certain point, the Eternals decided like they're advanced enough that like we need to let them make their own decisions. And for human history, they have just sat aside, which is true within the comics as well. The Eternals live in the center of the earth and frequently will just pop up to be like, hey, what are you guys doing? Oh, the Wright brothers just made planes. All right, cool. We'll see you a little bit. I think the reason why they're now becoming active is because of the whole Thanos and the Infinity Gauntlet uh, situation because Thanos in the comics is a descendant of the Eternals. He's like an offspring, offset kind of thing. Yep. So I think them seeing Thanos had interfered so much that they're now like, we could have easily been a part. This is because of us. So that's why they're now taking a more uh, prevalent step. Though I didn't like that joke at the end that is like, who should take over? Like, because that to me felt like the most like out of place thing in the trailer. I feel this movie I think is going to be a lot different than other Marvel movies. I don't think Definitely. it'll be action heavy. I think it'll be more of just like a background, like learning the history of now of our universe. Because it's said that we'll talk about Celestials in this movie and just yep. expanding the out re- outer reaches of what Marvel can touch upon. But yeah, that joke at the end of like, like who should replace Steve Rogers or Iron Man? And- like I could, like I was just like no 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 like I'm glad I'm glad the people laughed at him, but I was just like yeah no like you don't you don't fart him no, we already got a new Captain America he's got it now Sam Wilson, he's what we want yeah, but the movie looks good, visually looks great mm-hmm. I think there's gonna be a lot of uh, a lot of good visuals in there I think it's gonna be a pretty like I think it's gonna keep us drawn in you're right I don't know if there'll be that much uh, action per se. And it's yeah. definitely not going to be what we've seen out of Marvel recently. No. But it's going to be good. And I think it'll be, it's coming on the heels of after Black Widow comes out. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be another kind of shift of the window of like, hey, this is what the Marvel Universe also includes. Versus this like thing that's been delayed for COVID for over a year. Yeah. Great cast. Uh, Gemma Chan, who was in Captain Marvel. So I think this is the, probably the most prevalent uh, recasting of someone. Yep. Though when uh, Mahershal Ali's Blade comes in, I think that'll probably be bigger because he also was caught in mouth in Luke Cage and he's great in that. Um, but we got, yeah, Gemma Chan, Richard Madden from Game of Thrones, as well as um, um, Kit Harrington as well from Game of Thrones. Um, yep. Kumal Nanjiani, Angelina Jolie, uh, Selma Hayek, Brian Terry Henry from Atlanta. Um, a really good cast. I'm just... I'm excited to see how they'll all bounce off each other. See, Angelina Jolie, it's like kind of weird, but like having her in this movie is like a big thing. It's like, oh, ooh, Angelina Jolie's in the Marvel movie. Okay. I saw her in the trailer and rewinded to make sure it was actually her. Yeah. A lot of Maleficent vibes. <laughs> yes, but uh, her her character in the comics is very good. Uh, I th- I'm trying to, who is it? Uh uh, Barry Cogan, an Irish actor, he, I'm pretty sure, will be at least the antagonist within this movie. Because within the comics, his character in The Eternals is usually the one that's like, we, we're better than everyone. We should be in charge. Oh. And, all the, and the Eternals are usually just like, dude, shut up. Shut up, man. Come on. No, shut up. Now, why don't we just chill in the center of the earth? Everything's cool, man. Yeah. I'd chill in the center of the earth. I don't know about you. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like, it's dope down there. It's not like it's like, you know, a cave. Like, they got nice stuff down there because they're the Eternals. They got plenty of time to build things up. Get the really nice stuff going. Yep. What do you, uh, what do you want to give the Eternals uh, first trailer uh, for rating? I don't know. 
It's um because there wasn't a lot in it, mm-hmm. and it's definitely it's it's a long teaser trailer. Yep. So I think for folks at home, when you watch it, if you haven't watched it already, um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna give it like seven out of ten. Uh, accelerating humans from the Stone Age to the Bronze Age. Bronze Age. Okay, I like it. Get behind that. Mm. I'm feeling a uh, maybe like a six out of seven. Uh, geeky comic guy now has giant biceps. Uh, okay. Because yeah, come on, Gianni. That guy is shredded now. He's putting some work. Yeah, and it's it's kind of like it's it's so I find that just so funny. Because he's still the same dude, but you're just like, wow, he he could probably punch through me. Well, it's kind of like when Mac from It's Always Sunny, so Rob McElhenney, yep, is like, yeah, with an with with an unlimited budget, a team of trainers, a chef who cooks all your food, you too can look like this in six months. Yeah, and yeah, I love when he when people ask, how do you do it? He goes, well, you know, I woke up at six every day. I went to bed by ten o'clock. I didn't eat after seven o'clock. I had no carbs or sugars. And then it's, then he talks about when he had to get fat for Mac, and it's like I drank ice cream. <laughs> um, yes, that's correct. Drank ice cream. That's the best. So many I've heard that so many times. Where like actors, like yeah, I just let it sit out and melt, and then I'd wake up and just chug it, and then go back to bed. It's like oh, what a life. That is quite the life. Um, it, what's his name? I can never. He was in the newsroom. He played a uh, Jane Fonda's son, who's like the secondary person in charge of the company. He was also in Live by Night with Ben Affleck. I'm trying, but I can never remember his name. And he's also in uh, uh, Mindy Kaling's uh, show. I can't think of his name. But he, when he got, he put on weight for uh, Live by Night. And he's like, what, people are like, what do you do? He goes, I just drank beer every day and in the morning and like at night just to put pack it on. That's <laughs> kind of, that's bizarre. Yeah. And he, but he's also like, and Ben, he was like, Ben kept coming up to me like, how is it? Are you having fun? And it's like. Uh, ben was probably jonesing to be like, hey, you, you just drink beer all the time to put on? That sounds great. Wow. Let me in. Let me in. Yeah. You, you want to, I can be your, your friend. Yeah. But that's the Eternals. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> We're excited. Yes. It's going to be a great movie. I hope so. I feel, I feel like no matter what, we'll enjoy it. Um, but I can see a lot of probably your average movie fan or just anyone feeling a little off by it because i yeah i don't expect there's gonna be a lot of action there'll probably be like a big thing at the end but i think this is gonna be a far more like of a journey movie yeah definitely yeah and i hope there's a tony stark cameo somewhere well there's gonna be a there's gonna be a stanley cameo is there i bet well i mean there hasn't well we actually well we haven't had a movie since uh, Spider-Man and he's passed before that but I was going to say you're, have we had any cameos the only thing I can think of is um, ooh, excuse me is uh, in the Venom 2 trailer you can see it very briefly there's like a Stanley like photo of him okay yeah paying homage I wonder what Marvel will do if they, I think they probably won't be using him anymore unless they just have photos in the background but, yeah, you're right. It's probably not going to be unless you want a deep fake Stanley. No, I think I think his family probably be like, yeah, we're not doing that. And also, it just wouldn't look good, and everyone would be like, no, that's. But people always say like Ryan Reynolds' Deadpool should be the new like cameo in every movie. That could be. Cool. I could I could like see doing that, but yeah, I don't know. All right, well that's that's the show of the week this week. Eternals. I, we keep calling it the Eternals. Apparently, it's just Eternals. 
Um, yeah, I guess so. I'm, I'm just going to always call it probably the Eternals. Yeah, because it's a group of things. Yeah. The, the makes sense. We, yeah. we clearly know grammar better than a multi-billion dollar movie studio. Um, it's not about grammar. It's about marketing. True. Because, you know, we're the, the Shane and Scuba Steve show. Yeah. And, I mean, always don't forget about uh, Fant Four Stick. Yeah. Well, that was a box office phenomenon. Yeah. But it doesn't cool. come down to grammar. They can be like, yeah, this, this is how we'll show it. Fant Four Stick? Uh, no, it's Fantastic Four. No, nah, it looks like Fant Four Stick. That could be a deodorant. I could be a fan of Four Stick. <laughs> Fant Four Stick, I think, is just a knockoff. Like, you would see that in a soda machine for Fanta. Hey, you want a Fanta? No, I got Fan Four Stick. Fan Four Stick with four fantastic flavors. <laughs> exactly. Oh, that's yeah, look, great. That rolled yeah. right off the tongue. Yeah. Coming soon to a store near you, the Shansku with Steve official beverage, Fan Four Stick. Olive flavor. Oh, I don't like olives. Me neither. Oh, that's good to know then. Perfect. Yeah. So, continuing our, our movie series of the week. With Mission Impossible 2, we did Mission Impossible 1 last week. Go listen to episode 58 if you haven't heard of that yet. Correct. Or heard that episode yet. But we, this is Mission Impossible 2. Dose. Uh, this one took place or was filmed, released in 2000. Yes, four Actually, years after the first. We are, all, we are literally uh, 21 years and a day removed from Mission Impossible 2 coming out. Yeah, we planned that. that we, we talked about this Months ago, to make sure we had it just in time. Just one day late, we do it. We're there, but we're not. Well, because we don't want to take attention away from its own day. We don't want people... No, it's true. Yeah, it deserves... It's the respect. But yeah, mission... Oh, sorry. No, that's why last week we were briefly... We briefly missed the 25-year anniversary of Mission Impossible 1 coming out. Mm -hmm. But... This is the John Woo takeover for this one. Um... As we said in the last episode, the first three uh, Mission Impossible movies all had different directors. It's kind of something Tom Cruise wanted. He is uh, he produced the first three movies heavily, and then kind of things switched up for the most recent trilogy. And we're working on the seventh right now. Mm-hmm. So, a brief synopsis of this one: um, the Impossible Mission Force, Ethan Hunt, is tasked with uh, retrieving and then uh, retrieving a live sample of a dangerous virus created by scientists. A virus. Uh, biological weapon if you will called chimera which is Greece uh and coincidentally the its creators also create the cure uh Belepharon, which is another greek myth where Belepharon kills the chimera um i did not get a degree in greek philosophy so i can't speak more more to those stories but that's what we're basing it on <laughs> um cast cast for this includes tom cruise ethan hunt uh, Twandy Newton as Nia Nordoff Hall, uh, Ethan's love interest in this one. Kind of a bomb movie situation. Mm-hmm. Ving Rames comes back as Luther Stickel, which is a, he's been in, um, I believe, every Mission Impossible movie. Correct. Um, Dugray Scott is Sean Ambrose, our antagonist in the movie. Yes. And really just kind of goes down the, down the list from there. Mm-hmm. What did you think of this movie? Well, let's see. Mission Impossible 2 is definitely the black sheep of the Mission Impossible series. Agreed. Uh, because this was the sequel to the hit first Mission Impossible. People really enjoyed it. Though people also had some issues at the time about the first one. They thought it was a little complicated. So they wanted to change things up. You bring in John Woo, a very action-centric uh, director. Which, when you look back at the first one, there is action moments. But the action isn't gunfights and kung fu. It's 
no. intense invading of a, the CIA or a train chase, like all these things. So the action is different. This movie changed the formula. Um, though John Woo also has his own style, which I think very, um, I think it really kind of stamped itself on this film. This just rewatching this, I think, again, I just kept being like, this is Mission Possible 2. Like, he does have a very unique style. And we're going to get to that. Yes. I still like this movie because this is almost like the growing pains of it. But yep. there's, you can poke a lot of holes in this movie. And there's a lot of issues that I have. That being said, for a two-hour-long movie, I feel like it really moves. Like, or actually, not two hours. Sorry. Uh, Two-hour, five-minute. Oh. <laughs> uh, but I think it's a good move. I'm, I'm having trouble with this right now. How about you? Because <laughs> I, I think I'm also a little too close to this movie where I've seen it so many times where I'm just like, nah, it's Mission Impossible 2. I can just watch it that I'm just like already so in love with it. But how are you feeling about Mission Impossible 2? So I'm different from you. I hadn't seen this movie for years. Mm-hmm. I had seen it very early on. Yep. Probably. I wouldn't have seen I only have seen the last 10 years. Yep. As I was on like FX and I saw it and I watched it like briefly. So coming in relatively cold, I watched it last night to be really fresh for, for this recording. It, it was a very action movie. Very 2000s. Very, very 2000s in, in effects, in, in set design, in shots. It also feels like it could be a standalone movie. It doesn't mm-hmm. so much feel like a sequel as it does it, uh, like a, a chapter in an anthology. Which that's how uh, the series was at the very beginning. It's now become a little bit more continuous. Yep. Though so was the Bond series as well. They were very just installments. They never really bled into each other. So this movie kind of leads, leans into that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. You have so a lot of like reading online. You can read about this movie. There's a lot of think pieces about this movie and about like you know why it was the way it was. I think there's some interesting challenges that come from it. I think John Woo really tried to bring in his directing style. There's yep. a lot of slow motion shots, egregiously long slow motion shots. I'm not mm-hmm. going to defend them. Uh, the the action scenes are actually are super intense. Yep. Uh, they rely heavy. You know, like the gunfights are incredible to watch. The motorsport type stuff is really incredible to watch. And it kind of reminded me, I was like, okay, so this is like we took Mission Impossible 1 and then took like Triple X 1, smashed them together. Mm-hmm. And just short of Ethan Hunt being an action sports star and just short of Ethan Hunt being like a full secret agent again, you have this. Yes. You have one of <laughs> – so the movie starts off, and I love this bit because I think it's hysterical that MIF relies on these like the face masks. Yep, for lack of a better term, the uh, the full latex face disguises because I think it's hysterical. It's also a trope. It's a happen like um, for for those who enjoy Rowan Atkinson's movies, uh, Johnny English, the yep. first one, uh, spoofs this as well, and it, it happens with Benji in the fourth one. This really sets the stage for like these these masks to be part of the entire thing. Well, it's always been a staple of the Mission Impossible series. The, the it, masks. It is. I love it. I love it dearly. This one just like it felt. Everything in this movie feels turned up two notches, not too far, but to the point where you're like when you're listening to music and you go a little loud on the speaker and you're like, this is slightly uncomfortable. Like I should probably turn this down before I get like really really annoyed by it. No, I can understand that. Everything, yes, yeah, definitely kind of cranked up to 11. 
you, you think about how just the romance between Ethan and uh, Naya, they meet and within a day they're in love. And then the next day when Ethan is told, okay, the mission is you got to use her to get to this. He's like, I love her. I can't do this. To-. You're just like, you, well, like I can understand you maybe being uncomfortable about it. Like be like, oh, like I wish this, didn't but it's, he acts as if like, this is his longtime wife and like, honey, I need you to do something. <laughs> That's essentially the entire movie. Like there's a lot of, yeah, like you said, kind of egregious slow-mo. There's the scene where uh, Naya meets Sean Ambrose for the first time in years and like her scarf gets thrown by the wind and he catches it. And like the the music even like cuts out to be like, oh my God, look at that. You're just like, What's there's a lot on? of that. There's a lot of like eye dragging, like eye pu- like pulling you into the scene by like abruptly stopping the slow motion. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, but going kind of linearly through the movie, uh, opening of Ethan Hunt climbing uh, mountains in, I, guess, I, think, I think it was the Utah desert. Uh, that's He's just real. going free solo. Yeah, that's Tom Cruise doing that for real. Um, jumping between cliff faces because he's like, I'll just do that. That's fine. Um, I do say I really, it's kind of, maybe it's a stupid line, but I like when they're like, you didn't tell us where you were for vacation. He's like, yeah, if I told you it wouldn't be a vacation. But then the actual director of the IMF also agreeing with that. Like, no, I get it. Like, yeah, if you told us, it's not a vacation. Um, Anthony Hopkins is the uh, secretary of the IMF in this movie. Yep. Only time he's only in this one and it's kind of funny that they he's only here. I would have I'm shocked that he never they never brought him back. It was probably a logistical thing like they couldn't get him to do another two scenes. But I like him as the director of the IMF. Like he seems like the agent's type of director, like the one who's like who gets it, you know what I mean? Yeah. No, he seems like he's 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 for the people. Yes, though he's also just he's kind of he's also sexist when you, the, the line where She's like, I, she's not a spy. And he's like, a woman being told to lie? Oh, she has all the training she needs. I'm like, okay, okay. Someone, uh, someone, me to him. Get him out of here. Maybe that's why he's not back for the third one. Because <sighs> they knew after that scene it probably wasn't yep. the right idea. Ethan reported him to HR. Um, what do you think of the villain, Sean Ambrose, who is Ethan's, like, shadow? He's, it's kind of a foil, right? Situation. Well, yeah, for sure. But I meant also like he's essentially the guy they send when Ethan's busy doing something. He's meant to be his understudy slash his, slash his step shadow. That's what I was calling. It. But yeah, he is kind of the foil to Ethan, where Ethan's more like, okay, how do we work around the problem? Ambrose is more like, how do I shoot through the problem? So I really, I thought it was interesting. The first scene, right, or the second scene when they're they're on the plane mm-hmm. with uh, the doctor who created the Chimera virus. Yep. And that's the first use of masks of the of the mask gag in this movie. Where he's like, oh, why do you keep calling me Dimitri? And then he pulls it off. And I was like, oh, shit. That's not Ethan Hunt. Yep. I forgot about this movie. I like, Sean Ambrose was a great villain. Mm-hmm. There are a couple times where it felt like, to me, he's a, a, like a, a very observant person. Yep. Such as, like, the memory card and stuff like that. Where he sees, like, okay, wait, that definitely just got put back in my pocket. But he never acts on those things, mm-hmm. and he's definitely like definitely a a step behind in a couple of regards. Yep, I thought it was really interesting when in the one of the final scenes of the movie, him and Ethan are fighting hand to hand on a on a bluff, 
in Australia, for lack of better terms here. Yep. And uh, he's like, "You won't kill me. Like you never. Like you. That's the one thing you don't do." And then they like, they go to town on each other. And it's also kind of funny because he says it when they're describing the heist, which is they brought back the same a similar trope from the first movie, where they kind of talk through. And every action heisty movie has done this, where they talk through what they're going to do as they're doing it. Yep. So then, then the doors open for forty seconds only, and then the doors open. So and he's like, yeah, Ethan will not risk like a security guard's head just to get inside a building. So like he's going to go from the air. So it's kind of interesting as he knows him. It's like the, it's like yeah, you're right, a shadow, a foil, an inside the head kind of villain. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed him. I think he does do a pretty solid job in this movie. Um, I sometimes have a problem because he seems like a very emotional guy, but at the same time, I actually enjoy that. Like the scene where he's wearing an, an Ethan mask again, and he tricks Naya into revealing like, oh, she's working with Ethan. Yep. And then uh, the secondary, uh, his henchman, like he's like, oh, you were right, boss. Like, oh. You're, he's like crying because he's actually heartbroken. I actually do enjoy that because then it doesn't make him just. He could have easily just been like, oh, "I knew it." Uh, this girl, like, I like that they kept him emotional that he is hurt, but then that's his downfalls and him just like, "I'm I'm sad, so now I'm gonna hurt everybody else." Yep. Um, fun fact though about this, Duggery Scott, who plays Sean Ambrose, was filming this. He was cast as Wolverine in the original X Men, but because of reshoots and this being pushed back really? he couldn't do x-men and that's how hugh jackman got it interesting yeah and hugh jackman was hired like two weeks before production started on x-men and then because of that as well he didn't have any chance to get in shape so the final scenes that he shot were him like running around early in the movie without shirt on because they're like yeah no 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 wolverine like he was like lanky <laughs> and like kind of they're like no 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 okay we're gonna shoot those later because you need to do a lot of push-ups and bicep curls like right now Yep. So just think, because of Mission Impossible Two, we could, we didn't have a Dougree Scott Wolverine, and Hugh Jackman probably would not have been anybody. You live and you learn, especially when it's Mission Impossible. Yeah. Uh, what did you think of new uh, team member Billy Baird, the Australian local? I thought it was pretty good. Mm-hmm. I like the scene. <laughs> I like the scene where he bumps the guy in the door at the racehorse specifically, at the yep. racetrack specifically, and they get into like a little, like, they're standing real close, and they get into that little, like, macho moment. Yep. Oh, that was pretty cool. I thought it was I thought it was good. I know he doesn't come back in the other ones. Yep. So he's, he's forgettable to me in that regard. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, what did you think of him? Billy is just so weird. The, I think th- it's funny that the movie takes place in Australia, because, like, wh- I've now seen the movie a bunch of times and i know a lot of behind the scenes stuff like for instance the final like car chase motorcycle chase in the movie which actually i really enjoy yep all like the villains drive like ford camrys and like hondas it's just funny because those aren't like usually what you'd see from bad guys they usually are in like black suvs or like bmw but they're just all in like like corollas (laughs) so like that's why i get a kick out of just like watching that but also they shot that like in the australian like suburbs like just like yep. a random town. And like, there's parts when you're just seeing them whipping around. You're like, yeah, they're just like in the middle, like someone's downtown area. Like, like, like it's just in Waltham. Like, it's like, oh, okay. Just Mission Impossible is just running through here, blowing stuff up. Uh, but Billy Barrett, I think he, he just fits into this movie. I think they knew like Luther was, is good. Like keep him along. But now we just, he's really, I think just there to be like the funny guy. Like he doesn't really do, he's the helicopter pilot. Yep. That's really all he does. He quite, so we see him. When you think of Billy Baird, 
first arrives in a helicopter, lands it to bring Luther to there. Then he's the, the scene at the horse track, which is a pretty decent scene, but he's just there to observe and then slow down uh, Ambrose's henchman, which funny, he's playing a South African guy, but that guy's actually Australian. And then he's making fun of the Australian and being like, might. Yep. Um, but then the next scene is the heist of the chimera and he's in a helicopter. And then the end is him in a helicopter. Just fly. I just, well, he's, he's the del- helicopter pilot. Where else do you want him? Shane? I know, but it's just, it's like, he, oh, that's, he's supposed to be an IMF agent, but it's like, he's really just, they, they could have just been like, he's a local hire. Who's just a helicopter guy. Like, I think that would have worked a little bit better if they like, and then he like Naya isn't a spy. It's like, you got to try and follow these rules. But yeah, <laughs> Billy, Billy's all right. I'm not shocked they didn't bring him back because they're probably just like, we don't need a helicopter in the next movie. Why would we need Billy? No, because uh, hel- helicopter pilots are dime a dozen. Oh, for sure. And we'll me- talk about helicopter pilots a little bit later in the show. What did you think about the action scenes in this movie? Specifically speaking, if we're on a dirt road and I have a sports motorcycle and you have like a, a non-sports motorcycle, but we're driving right at each other as fast as humanly possible. Mm-hmm. When do you jump? Oh, I jump at the last second to tackle you midair. That's a special. That's yeah. Uh, that's John Woo for you. Uh, oh, it's hundred percent John Woo. And I mean, I definitely had, there's some points where I roll my eyes. Cause there's one point that I remember Ethan is running away and then does a jumping midair somersault to get behind cover. And while doing that shoots behind him, hits a guy one shot. It's like, no, 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 like, no. <laughs> I, and this is, yeah, this is the first time we really see Ethan using guns. You don't actually, actually, no, you don't see him really using any in the uh, first one. So I think the purpose of this was more the show, like, Ethan's a super spy. Like, he's very talented and all that. Later in movies, he still uses guns, but, like, he's far more human and natural. You're not just, like, doing yep. He dual wields pistols at one point. <laughs> not tactical, <laughs> not like a smart move. Most uh, experts would say that doesn't help you because, like, trying to aim two guns at once it actually isn't any easier. No, it's some Call of Duty shit. Yeah, the I think all the hand to hand stuff that Ethan does in this movie is great because that's what John Moon knows. Bringing it to the ground, uh, the final fight on the bluff, like you said, uh, excluding the weird jousting on motorcycles very briefly. Yeah, like when they get to the fight, I think that's great. Um, in the scene where Ethan has a knife right above his eye. Do you know how they did that in real life? No. So they had the knife connected to a cable, which just was measured to be that far from real life Tom Cruise's eye. And Doug Reese Scott was just had to put all this pressure on it to make it look right. But the cable was like built to it. Like it wouldn't move, but that was real. That was a real blade that Tom Cruise was like, yeah, put it as close to my eye as possible. I, even if someone showed me like, Here's a 400-pound man on the cable. Like, no, nah, I still would never do that because it's so close to his eye. I, uh, uh. I like the, I like the idea that whenever Tom Cruise is doing a movie, like the studio, all of a sudden just has to call their insurance company and go. So here's the thing. And well, I'd love to. I'd love to be a fly on the wall during those conversations. Well, well, this is in a way spoilers for future. But for Ghost Protocol, when he climbs, uh the Burj Khalif, the studio wouldn't do that. So, we, or the, sorry, the insurance company wouldn't do that. So he fired that insurance company and then hired a new one that would. Isn't it nice to be Tom Cruise? Yeah. Cause he's the producer. He's allowed to do that. But like, that just shows him being like, no, I don't. Okay. You guys are saying no, fine. I'll find one that will do it. I don't care. I want to do that. And everybody um, wonders why he flipped out on that group of people when he was producing a movie. I forget if it was Mission Impossible seven or another it was. movie. 
And he flips on them for COVID protocols, and it's like, that man just wants it done. Yeah. But, you know, he was right when he was telling them. He's like, everyone's looking at us, because we're, like, the only... At that time, they were the only movie that was, like, in, like, that large of a production. Yep. And also, they were moving around the globe, too. So, it's like, you're, he's like, everyone's looking at us. Like, if we mess up, we're all screwed. Um, but, yeah, Mission Impossible 2, the, the weird uncle of the Mission Impossible series. Yeah, I mean, what do you think? So let's say you're walking through some sand, right? And, like, mm-hmm. I might be going to shoot you, Yep. hypothetically speaking. Of course. But there may be a gun on the ground from mm-hmm. the last time we fought. Yep. Mere minutes earlier. Uh-huh. Uh, is the right way to pick up that weapon to reach out to the ground with your hand and pick it up like a normal person and, like, roll over and shoot me? Or would you say, like, kicking it like a pitching wedge in the sand trap to have it pop up and then you could, like, tr- would you think that's the better way to do it? Um... In reality, I actually going to, bending down to pick up the gun wouldn't be the best because you'd be too slow. I think the move you would want to do is like fall on it so that like you're a flat target and then try and grab it. But yeah, him kicking it up in the air and doing like a McTwist in the air to turn around and shoot. And somehow Ambrose doesn't shoot during all that. Not even no. like a couple. Like you would think he would at least like take like two rounds real quick. But no, he, he doesn't shoot the entire time. And then he's just watching a, like a ballerina attack on himself. I yeah. just there's so much from this movie where it's like it is a John Woo movie. It is, and there's a certain kind of action you come to expect with a movie like this. But there's so many things now where you're like 21 years later, you're like, this is this is tough. It's harder to watch. Yep. Oh, the other thing sure. I'll say on this is there's a whole thing where they're trying to sell the Camara virus, Ambrose and his cohort for 30 million dollars. Yeah. And so this is like in the first third of the movie. And I'm like, I'm sitting there going, we should do, you and I should do like a, a tracker on like the inflation of like movie, movie like demands, like ransom demands mm-hmm. in movies. So like 30 million is pretty low. And that was 2020. I mean, that was 2000. So like, all right, that and $2020, probably 50 million ish. Like, and then you get there, he goes, yeah, I'm going to buy all your stock options with the $30 million you loaned me, quote unquote. And then I'll be a billionaire. I'll take over your biosciences company i was like okay nope so there was no uh there's really no there's just a very devious plot there's no inflation situation here yeah well yeah in the first movie uh ethan hunt his mom's bank account has one hundred fifty thousand dollars. it's like that's oh wow a lot of money so the inflation in these movies is very fun to track you are right well it's just it's just you know what happens when it's like I'd love to go back and say a movie from the 30s where it's like, we want $1,500 or your wife gets it. And it's like, okay. Like, all right. And then just like jump to like a movie in the 70s where it's like, $2 million will be enough for us to live in Tahiti forever. Well, I've been uh, re-watching Band of Brothers the last couple days. Okay. And in the first episode, one of the guys is like, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to use this knife, stab Hitler through the eyes. President Roosevelt's going to rename Thanksgiving my day, and I'll get $10,000 for the rest of my life. Like, $10,000 a year for the rest of my life. That's what he says. And he's like, perfect life. And it's like, $10,000? That's it for killing Hitler? A year? $10,000 a year. Yeah, that's what he, what he gets. Yeah. He hey, like, a free, even now, a free ten grand is not bad. No, but the idea that he's like, I'll, I can live the rest of my life. Like, yeah, $10,000 a year now would definitely be very nice and you could use that well but it's like you it, just 10,000 a year you can't really live oh no but but selling the guy's book idea of, of killing hitler for 10 grand might might be nice yeah but mission impossible give, oh oh no i was saying what do you give mission impossible and i was going to say what do you give mission impossible hey look at that yeah 
Okay, at the same time, no. Do you want me to go first? you want to go first? Uh, after you. Okay. Hmm. I'll try and uh, be a little objective, considering I am a big fan and I've seen this so many times. I give Mission Impossible 2. I'm going to give it 7.5 out of 10. Uh, Luther Stickle being upset that he steps on sheep shit in the Australian outback. Okay. That's a good one. That's a nice, that's like a nice, it's a nice moment. Yep. This is Gucci. Put a hole in my Ferragamo. Um, I'm going to give it a six out of 10. Reusing the same big stunt from the first movie. Yep. We haven't said it yet, but it does have to be said. There's another situation. Like it's the same exact, essentially thing where he repels horizontally down a shaft to -hmm. break into somewhere. Doesn't look as good because it is a lot of CGI. Yeah. While the first one is like, ooh, so crisp. Um, but yeah, though that's also then just becomes like a staple of the franchise. Just like at one point, Ethan is hanging horizontally to the ground by a wire. Just like, it's, I mean, there's like all these, there's all these bits and gags, like the mask, like Tom Cruise running with his hands like blades, the the vertical falling. But it's just, I you reuse the same stunt like that so close in such a similar situation of trying to break in somewhere and steal something. Mm-hmm. It, it doesn't get any points for me. If anything, it takes it down a notch. <gasps> oh my god, no! I know. All right. Well, I forgive you. I mean, I forgive you. I don't know if I forgive Mission Impossible Two though. Well, that's all right. Next week we'll talk about the third one, and I th- you'll feel a lot better. Next week is Mission Impossible Three. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman is in that mm-hmm. one. Yeah. Looking and forward that's it. to it. It's just him. It's just, just a movie him. Of, yep. He narrates the entire script. It's great. Mm-hmm. He narrates, does his own lines, but he also narrates over his own lines. Oh, he does all like the enter stage left. Yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Philip blinks. So anyway, that's Mission Impossible Two. Yes. Electric Boogaloo. <sighs> Jesus. We do have a second movie of the week this week. Uh, we've talked about it for three weeks in a row because we keep getting we got the release date incorrect. Apparently, mm-hmm. uh, we're talking today about Zack Snyder's Army of the Dead. Yes. The latest Netflix film of brief plot, zombies, and a mercenary group are going into Vegas to rob a vault for $200 million, uh, before a nuke drops on the city to wipe out all the zombies. Yep. What did you think of Army of, of the Dead? I thought it was, it was all right. Mm-hmm. I, we had higher hopes for the cast. Mm-hmm. I, I re-listened yesterday to our Trail of the Week segment about it, and we had very high hopes for the cast. And I think some of those hopes were met, and I think others weren't. Yep. And it's a good pulpy zombie movie, mm-hmm. but I don't think it does anything specific, like specifically well. Okay. How did I you hate feel you. about it? I hate you for everything you just said. You're That's the fine. no. Um, I'm the same way. This movie definitely has a lot of problems. Um, but I was thinking about it last night before, uh, or thinking about this recording. I would definitely watch this movie again. Like, I can definitely see myself putting this on if I got home late and I want. I was, like, eating something. I was like, oh, what do I want to watch or what could I put on? I could yep. easily see myself putting this back on. It's not as bad as what we may say as we continue talking about this movie. Um, Zack Snyder directed this cinematographer and wrote this movie. Um, what did you think of the cinematography? I've heard a lot of 
people's opinions on it, kind of going back and forth. What did you think of it? That was all right. I don't think there's anything to write home about. There's a very shallow field of uh, view in this where people, characters quite literally very often are like taking a step away and are out of focus. Um, I actually really enjoyed it, and I think it really helped um, with Tignataro being in this movie. Because yep. Tignataro, for people who don't know, replaces Chris D'Elia in this movie. Chris D'Elia was scrubbed from this film after the accusations of him uh, being a perv uh, came out. Um, and Tignataro replaced him. There's only maybe one or two scenes that I remember specifically being like, okay, she's clearly not there. Yep. But I think the compositing on this is fantastic. Like, yeah, she does have a lot of shots where it's just her in the frame. And that's clearly because they reshot it. Yep. But I don't think ever was I like, oh, that. And she's also, I think, great in this. I think her, her character of Peters is funny. Very funny. Very, yep. very funny. Um, and she, I pretty much every scene with her, I feel she steals the show. Um, I just, yeah, I love when they recruit her. And she's like, all right, I'm in. It's like, and walking away. And it's like, you don't want to hear. Nope, I already said I'm in. Two million dollars will change a lot for me. Yep. Um, she's great. You, you were kind of right. The cast, some of the expectations might have been a little high i do think dave batista did a good job i feel there's only a couple scenes where he kind of gets the stretch and like that's when the scene where it's the flashback of him killing his wife i think that was a really good scene yep um the final scene with him and his daughter uh actually think is decent i don't think batista does a bad job in this no he he definitely does it as well as he can Mm -hmm. and i think the, the the character he's playing doesn't give him a lot of a lot of like line to yep. take it pretty far, but I also think at the same time no other character stuck out to me as like a a narrative superstar. I can understand. I think though that comes just down to it. This hits a lot of the beats of any zombie movie or really almost any heist movie. Like I think it's, that's kind of where it falls. That the characters are generic because of the story being told. It's an ensemble zombie heist movie, mm-hmm. and you've already combined. So basically, most zombie movies are ensemble to be. They're a small group movie. Yep. And I think that watching the opening scene of this movie, where it's a montage of different zombie scenes with a deep music background, reminds me exactly of Zombieland. Yep. Which is again small ensemble, five six people zombie movie. Then you have a Vegas heist movie. So you have like that Vegas aspect of the bright lights and the sound and the show tunes. And they kind of do that in the beginning of season two. Sorry, not beginning. They, the beginning scene yep. as well, where it's like the Liberace impersonator. And you kind of get those Ocean's Eleven vibes. Again, huge ensemble cast, Vegas heist movie. You don't get a lot of depth in those characters generally. You're right. So this does as much as it can. I think building in you know, the Dave Batista history with his daughter, things like that. Is really great. I think you kind of get it with Gita trying to find her. It's like another, it ties it, it makes it a little bit longer and stretches it. Yeah. Well, speaking of Gita and the daughter, that's probably like, I'd say one of the worst parts of the movie because that is just so stupid. Because so those at home listening or in the car or at work, um, the daughter is going into the quarantine zone to find Gita because Gita went in to try and find money to bring out to help get her kids out of the quarantine camp. Um, but it's just so her motives are just so stupid because she leaves with no guarantee that Gita's alive yep. to check a hotel 
and once again, a hotel, knowing that a nuclear bomb is going to be dropping within the, the next hour or less at this point, to then maybe find her friend, to then what was her, did she, she wasn't expecting to get picked up by the helicopter. So what was her plan? Like to then just run and hopefully get like, it was just so stupid. And then because of her doing that leads to pretty much everyone getting killed because of her reaction. That's probably like one of the worst parts of the movie is the daughter just because it's just so it. And it leads to nothing because Gita at the end is dead in the helicopter crash. Yep. So that definitely, that made me roll my eyes during all I'm just like, come on. But I feel like you almost need that in a zombie movie. There's always just someone being stupid. Who's like, what if we just make a run for it? Run, make a run through the the pack. No, that's not going to (laughs) work. But, other things that uh, I think before I maybe go a little bit too negative that I did enjoy, um, I really like the character of Coyote. I thought that was an interesting. I thought the uh, actress uh, Nora Enesder, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. I thought she did a pretty good job with it. There wasn't too much for the character to do, but I liked her, yep. like her job and who she was. This person that sneaks people into the into Vegas. She understands the hierarchy of the zombies and the alphas and knows how they work. I thought she was really interesting. Um, Dieter, the safe cracker, pretty fun character who's actually getting a prequel movie that's like has already just wrapped production, which about like how he got to America, which um, is kind of interesting that they're already doing a prequel movie based on this. Well, there's a prequel movie on it, and there is a animated. I don't know if it's a series or movie coming out as well, which will explain some things in this movie. Because have you like been looking into any of the theories and stuff that's shown in this? Because there's Snyder lays down a lot of concepts because even the opening scene where people are leaving area 51 with essentially the first zombie yeah before we know it's a zombie they're like speculating what it is they're like you think it's aliens you think it's it's a cyborg you think it's all this stuff um which that kind of plays into how this possibly started i haven't read any theories yet i haven't really dug into it i've just kind of i like watched the film kind of mm-hmm. cold but I have seen since, and this is like me doing like my update check this afternoon, just to like dive in. There yep. is talk. There's definitely talk of a sequel. There's definitely talk. I saw Zack Snyder in an interview. It was like, yeah, there could be zombie kids, based on one thing you see in the movie. And it's just like, mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you really want to build a zombie universe around Army of the Undead or Army of the Dead? Somewhat, because I feel at least he sets up a lot of interesting ideas. So like. The thing he was, I'm guessing, he hasn't admitted to it yet, but what you see in the film is actually at the very beginning, and I didn't see it the first time I watched it, I had to go back and see it. When the army transport is leaving, there are two bright lights in the sky, and then they rush off to follow the convoy. Those are aliens. So, yes. And then the Alpha, when we see him die, and there's a few other ones, there's like a blue liquid, even the baby is blue. A lot of people are speculating that aliens caused the zombie outbreak, which actually is an homage to the original night of the living dead, because Romero had in that one, a satellite's coming back, hearing a radiation and the government blows it up. And then the zombie outbreak begins. So people, he was kind of saying like, Oh, it's aliens. So there's that, but there's also like robot zombies that you briefly see in this movie. Did you notice the robot zombies? I did not notice the robot zombies. There are a few zombies you see with glowing blue eyes. And then there's one during the in the casino that gets shot and it has a robot skeleton. Um, so okay. like, that hasn't been announced either, but people are thinking like that's either just 
robots that the aliens built to observe the zombies or that's the government built robots to be like oh, what the fuck like are, what are these alphas we got to figure it out what the fuck are these things yeah um i i liked that stuff that's a cool thing that i like if and it also... develops further i think it'll be interesting mm-hmm. but it's in this it doesn't sell me further on just this movie yeah for sure but i mean and he also snyder kind of like teases this weird like time loop thing when they get to the vault and there's the skeletons that look like the entire crew. And then uh, Vander g- goes on a long tangent that's like, what have we done this before? What if we're just pawns and Tanaka's plan and we're just going through this over and over and over again? I can't deal with another tenant style movie, I gotta be honest. So yeah. I just think it, 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 there's another team and they fucked up and lost. Yes, which though that's that right there already makes a big problem because we learn in this movie that Tanaka's goal isn't to get the $200 million out of the vault. It's to get an alpha or the head of an alpha to study them because the government wants to have an army of controllable undead, which right there is like just stupid because it's like army guys. Come on. That's it just won't work. It's like in Jurassic World when they're like, let's have velociraptors in the army. No, guys, you guys They'll aren't... do everything. But that's kind of I think the, one of the bigger problems in this movie is why did Tanaka even lie? Like, why not just go to Dave Batista and be like, hey, I want to get the he- I'm looking for an alpha. I know you have, you got, you're uh, well-trained. You have a team. I'll pay for you guys to go in and get this alpha's head and come back. Maybe it wouldn't have been $50 million, but I feel like... It would have been easy, right? It would have been... Well, that's the other thing is they make it out that getting into Vegas should be very difficult. Nope, because Batista's daughter works at the quarantine camp. She knows the coyote, and they very easily just walk through, like, four shipping containers into the into Vegas. And then a few minutes into there, they're met, met by the alpha queen. She, so like that right there, I was just like, the whole mission is ready in five minutes. Like, yeah, but I guess that's like, that would make it too easy. Wouldn't it? Oh no, of course that's not that great of a movie, but it just, it's just such so much extra work they put into it for them to, because then once again, it's like, okay, so wait, his goal wasn't to get the money. So then why have there been other teams being sent in? And like, why were they looking at blueprint? Like it, like that was just kind of a problem that in hindsight, I'm looking at it like, huh? Well, it might be that originally the plan was to go in and get the money. And then after, as time has gone on, as the government, maybe with those robots has learned about the alpha, you know what? Then it's like, okay, let's do it. And that's why I send in, um, the other character. I'm blanking on his name right now. Um, Garrett, or no, Martin, sorry, played by Garrett Dillahunt. Yes. He goes in with them to ensure that that happens. You know what? Uh, I want you to know I'm tapping my nose to be like, you've got it. That's probably exactly it, is that the original plan, they first were trying to go and get the money. And then, yeah, wow. That's probably it. Uh, oh, wow. Okay, that actually just kind of cleared up a lot of room for me and now like kind of makes me like... Got some happy. deep breathing space? A little bit. Like Now I'm like kind of happier about the movie. Like, oh, okay, cool. Um... But yeah, there's other weird things about this movie that like I don't hate, but make me think about it. Uh, uh, Goose, like the YouTuber guy, brings two of his <laughs> friends in on the mission, and yep. I do like that he's even like they're on my dime, and I think that's why Dave Bautista's character is like cool because he's like, oh cool, I don't, I don't have to give them any more money; they're gonna take from him. Yep. But then the one guy is just like, no, I'm not doing this, and then leaves. I thought that was gonna like I thought they were gonna kill him. Like no one can know <laughs> about this mission. They, no, he just is there to then say, no, I'm not doing this and leaves. 
He wanders right out. I love it. Yeah. And then Chambers, they like, they're like, okay, who hasn't killed a zombie before? And she raises her hand. But then she's like the best one at killing them. She has that whole great scene where she's like trying to escape and kills hundreds of zombies on her own. And it's like, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. you've never killed one and you're that good? Wow. Impressive. I mean, do we got to do? Yeah. Uh, other things I liked. I liked uh, when Theo Rossi from Sons of Anarchy and Luke's Cage, the, the camp uh, security guy who's a, a dick. Yeah, it's such when a gets, fucking asshole. Yeah, he's the worst. But I love when he's shot and he's just like, I have a mom. And the coyote's like, yeah, everyone's got a mom. That's like, doesn't me- matter, okay? I was like, ooh, that's, oh, that's good. See, I didn't want him to be that character, though. I wanted, I didn't want Theo Rossi's character when we first talked about this movie to be this guy. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I mean, obviously, like, I mean, had you had Chris D'Elia still in this movie, I think it's a great way to end his character. <laughs> yep. um, piece of shit. But... Yeah, it's it just sucked to me that I was like, oh, I love watching him in things, and then that's he gets this like, it was just tough, mm-hmm. but I thought they did it the right way. Yeah, um, yeah, Chris Lee. It's really is shocking how like well, yeah, Tick Nataro blends into this movie, and this just watching this just made me be like, oh, I I can now watch Tick Nataro in anything. I think I think yep. she's hilarious. I think she does a really good job with this character. Um, and yeah, like they did a really good job putting it together. I another problem is just I, so yeah, their first thought to have about a day and a half before the nuke drops, and then they learn at one point they have an hour and a half. No one seems like at all pressured or rushed that they have an hour and a half before a nuclear bomb drops. No, there's no stress. They go and they bother Dieter, and they're like, "So how long?" And he's like, 30 minutes in perfect silence." Everyone's like, "Okay, that's fine." Yeah, but once again, they're like, okay, yeah, 30 minutes to uh, carry $200 million up to the top of a casino. Yeah, sure. We can, Yeah, no, that would take you so long. The other thing is, I always forget this. It, I, like, I have to Google it now just to remind myself. Mm-hmm. But a million dollars in cash isn't small. No. Like, and I think that's all... 200 of them. Yeah, I'm pretty sure like Altogether, that would weigh 5,000 pounds. And that really shitty chopper that uh, Peters spends the entire movie trying to get working would not be able to carry that and all the people expecting they all lived. No, like, it's pallets. Pallets upon pallets of money. Mm-hmm. And they're like, yeah, this is fine. We'll be able to handle this. Yeah. Um, fun little Easter egg. In the scene when they first talk about how the plan should go and they show them opening the vault... Uh, Zack Snyder's uh, film reels of the Snyder Cut are in the vault. I love that. Yeah, which actually that made me think that's why he put that time loop element into Army of the Dead was because at that time the Snyder Cut was not going to ever be released. So I feel like he was probably like, you know what, I liked, I really like that I had this time stuff with the Flash. Maybe I could just do it here because Netflix isn't going to cut this because this is just, it really is just like a throwaway line. Yeah, um, I yeah. just I still disagree that that's, like, the thing. Yeah, probably not. Um, how do you feel about uh, the very ending that we have uh, with Vander um, emerging from the vault after the bomb drops? I think that's a little weird. I mm-hmm. was kind of weird about it. I think he should be dead. Mm-hmm. Not, this is kind of like a classic Indiana Jones in the refrigerator situation. Yep. And I also realized that, like, so he leaves the vault. 
and he, he has his money and takes the plane to, you know, he heads to Mexico. Yep. And then he's bitten. Mm-hmm. And it's like, cool. Like that's one door to his, uh, to some sort of sequel or some sort of like, like spin off of something. But I don't know. What did you think? Um, I, my initial, when I first saw it before you learned that he was bit at the very end was thinking like he was emerging like a couple days or whatnot afterwards. Yeah. But this is, I think it's meant to be that it was like the following day or right after. So it makes you wonder like, how could he survive all the radiation? Then of course he's bit. So all that, uh, I thought it was kind of like some come up, come up, come up in, come up in, come up in. Yeah. Come. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, but he gets away, he has this money, he, he thinks he's in the clear, now he's been bit. Um, some kind of interesting theories that come from it is that he was bit by the Alpha, but he has okay. an Omega tattoo on his chest. And, the, and this movie does have a lot of like symbolism with Greek mythology, like uh, the Alpha's name, and Snyder calls him Zeus because they stay at Olympus in the statue of Zeus, Alpha and Omega. Um, there's like theories that like uh, Vander is supposed to be like the next wave of even stronger Alpha because you think of how that one was able to have children and actually at the very beginning he has like short hair and then the alpha has long hair so he's still living essentially if he can be growing hair um and you got to think like maybe the radiation made him a different kind of zombie i uh, th- that made me want to now see more it kind of cuz i was like okay they they keep kind of adding layers to this cake definitely and i want to get a bite at the very end of all of it could it, I mean, it could be with the Omega symbol that he's immune. Maybe. I, it was just, there's a lot, Snyder loves to put lots of these weird, like, symbolism and extra components to his movies. You, yeah. you look at, there's even, uh, this was after he was fired from Justice League. I think it was actually though before the new one, or the Justice League came out. He gave this sketch away. It was for, like, a charity event. It was actually, but it's just, like, symbols of all the heroes, but that was the secret story behind all of his Justice League. Like, it's just this tiny sketch that he did, but, like, people deciphered it, and were like, oh, this is how Superman is reborn, and this is how him and Lois, and this is Batman, and they're, he was like, yep, that's actually everything all in there. And I feel like that's what this movie kind of has, lots of layers of, like, there's a time loop. Alpha and Omega, Zeus, the gods, aliens, robots. Okay. I can, I can, I feel you on that. I still think I still appreciate my interpretation of the time oh, of loop situation, but oh, of course, and a tiger. The tie. What did you think about Valentine? Uh, I loved the scene of Martin getting uh, mauled by the tiger. I thought that was great. I think, yep. it, and also there's a, a zombie horse at the very end too, which I thought was really cool. Um, it was just fun. I, I didn't have a problem with it. I wasn't like, oh, that's stupid. I was like, cool, awesome, Z- zombie tiger. I, though I thought Martin was going to turn into. A zombie, but then I remembered only the alpha could turn people into like other alphas. Yep. Ooh, excuse me. Turn but, to a shambler. Yeah. Um, oh, also, this movie. The other thing I was kind of let down by was when they first walk in and Coyote's like, "Oh, these are all the zo- uh, the shamblers that died. Oh, wait till it rains; they'll come back to life." I was like, "Oh, cool! It's gonna rain. Like, well, they're all gonna at the very end. They're gonna be coming back, and it'll be raining." Nope. Nope. That doesn't. That doesn't pay off anything. I like. I do like that Dieter was like. How much rain? Yeah. Um. Yeah. So, Army of the Dead. What are you gonna give it? 
I think I'll give it a six out of nine uh, army armored vehicles exploding when a sedan hits them for some reason. <laughs> okay. That really shouldn't have happened. Like I can, I can accept the vehicle can't drive anymore, but not that it exploded. That's if, if I heard the sergeant on the radio, I would have gone, Hey, and also talk to our mechanics. Like, Hey, I think this is all made of plywood. This is just dirt caked on dirt. I don't know what's going on here. Yeah. What do you give it? Um, I'm going to give it, this is I, a 12 out of 15. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of going, I'm on a, I'm on a stretch well, of radio a little hot. 12 out of 15. What? That's where I'm. That's, I'm just starting with the rating. Okay. So I was getting there. I. I just think I. We don't go. We don't really leave the. We. Leave, we don't really leave you and I. Don't leave like the eight to twelve range. So I'm saying. Twelve out of fifteen. Twelve out of fifteen. I'm saying twelve out of fifteen. Don't touch my saws. Yep. That doesn't get used. Nope. Doesn't get. Doesn't come back up ever again. Yep. Um. I was also thinking that I could have based my rating on the fact that. Um, Peter stays so cool about the helicopter not working in the beginning when she's like, yep, nope, just the field day up here at the pool. Yep. Having a great time. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, I think, just the character knowing, like, I, because she has, I don't think, was told at that point. Actually, no, she does get told that, like, uh, the nuke is coming. But I think she just knows, like, me saying I'm having trouble with the chopper isn't going to fix, like, make anyone happy. Because that's good. Probably she probably just knew that's just going to stress everyone out. Like that would have added a nice little time thing, though, because none of them else really reacts to the time issue. Yeah, that probably would have at least gotten people, yeah, moving, and actually maybe could have gotten uh, the daughter to be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't go after Gita. Yep. Uh, yeah, just stupid fucking. <laughs> Pro- promise me, if I get taken away or anything happens to me, you'll look after my kids. Yeah, not a problem. Gita's gone. I gotta leave these kids by themselves. <laughs> Yeah, Ugh. if uh, if I were Dave doesn't Batista, make sense. If I were Dave Bautista, even if she did the whole like, well, if you leave without me, I'll just go in after you. I would have been like, okay, and then just stabbed her in the leg and be like, well, now you got no choice. Now you got to stay here. Like I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have put up with that. I, or I would have, yeah, handcuffed her to like a wall. I'd be like, no, like you're not doing this. You're just you're gonna get everyone else killed, <laughs> and that's what she True. did. Yeah. So that's Army of the Dead. Yeah. A, a trailer of the week graduated to movie of the week. Graduated to uh, grad student of the week. To, we'll see what the sequel and prequel and animated series lead for us later. Mm-hmm. More Theo Rossi. Hopefully. I want a prequel movie with just him and how he became such a horrible person. Absolute shitbag. Yeah. Well, not the, the character. Yes. Theo Rossi is lovely. He's, he's a nice gentleman. I heard he helped an old lady cross the street. I heard he did it twice. <laughs> she didn't want, she was upset. She's like, no, I got to cross it a third time. God damn it. Should I go tell people they can find us? Oh, they can find us in a boatload of places. You can find us on Instagram at Shane and Scuba Steve Show. You can find us online at www.theshaneandscubastevshow.com. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on Apple Podcasts. And actually, real quick, can we, are we on Google Podcasts at all? Is that a thing? I don't think Google Podcasts is a thing, but we can find out. All right. Uh, if you're there, subscribe. Give us a like. Give us a review. Give us five stars. We'd appreciate it. It's very nice of you. Yeah. Give yeah. us the reviews. We want to see reviews. Please. Yeah. Well, that's it. That's our show this week. 
All right. We'll see Goodbye. you next week. Oh, we are on Google oh. Podcasts. Oh, we are? Oh, wonderful. We're on Google Podcasts. I didn't know about this. We'll be adding that to the next buttload of information I give you. Boatload, buttload, it's all the same. Yeah. All right. Good night, everyone. Later.